We are, as promised, starting a new sermon. We're finishing our sermon series that we've been in for the past bunch of weeks today. And then next week, we're starting a new one. And so just got to give you a heads up, especially the parents in the room. And middle school parents, you're going to get an email this week just explaining a little bit more. But we're going to have our middle schoolers in, the, in service with us for the next three weeks. Because we're going to have a three-week sermon series that, talk, that we're going to talk about sexual formation. What it, what it looks like, to, what sexual desire looks like for the Christian, what we're supposed to do with it. And I think we can all agree that, that uh, there's a lot of perspectives in the world about what we're supposed to do with our sexuality. And, and our kids are getting taught a lot of those things at an early, early, earlier age. Just, it just keeps getting younger and younger and younger. And so unfortunately, sometimes the church feels a little bit uncomfortable stepping in and having those conversations sometimes. Or if it, or if it does, sometimes it can be in, a, in an an abrasive way, and that's not who we want to be. So we're going to take three weeks, and we're going to talk about it, um, and, uh, and just parents, heads up, and even if you have a high schooler, like if you just feel like, oh man, I don't know if I want my, my, my kid in there for that, um, then, uh, and listen, you can trust me, I'm not going to say anything like super weird or crazy, all right, but if you feel <laughs> uncomfortable, um, then that's fine. We're going to, we still have a, an environment for your kid if you don't want them to be in here, but I'm looking forward to it. It's going to start next week, so you don't want to miss it. Guys, uh, I love being a dad. I love being a parent. Um, I've got four kids, and we have so much fun. And there are some things, though, that I hate about being a parent. And I'm going to tell them to you right now. The two top things that I hate about being a parent. Number one, loose teeth. I can't stand it, all right? I can't handle loose teeth. I can handle every other bodily fluid that there is, all right? It's not a problem. I can deal with it. But when a kid comes to me with like, even that part in the movie, The Incredibles, remember in Incredibles, there's a kid, I think it's Incredibles, where you like, they like blow the tooth in and out. I can't watch that part. I just can't watch it. If a kid comes up to me with the loose tooth, I'm just like, like go talk to your mom. I'm just not going to handle that, right? Um, I'm just not going to do it. The other thing that I really hate, and it's all, it's this time at Christmas time, or I'm sorry, at uh, like Halloween time, is scooping out the innards of pumpkins. I just can't, anybody else with me on scooping out the innards of pumpkins? It's so gross. I just can't do it. I feel like I'm dressing a deer, like, but like the, the vegetable version, and I just like, and I get my arm in there, and I, you know, I start to like, I start to do that thing, and it's like, it's, you have to literally pull the guts out of the pumpkin. It's so gross. And so I'll do everything else as a parent, just those things I won't do. Um, and it's just like anything else in life. Listen, if you, if you focus on the things that you don't like, then sometimes you can kind of get negative and down about it. You have to focus on the things that you like, right? Um, we all have to do that. We have to, you have to do that with your job, right? There's some things about your job you, you, I'm sure you love, and then there's some things that you, about your job that you don't love. And if you focus on the things that you don't love, then you, you, know, you can easily find yourself just getting really bitter towards work. So you have to focus on the positive things, right? We all, we all get that. We all do that in our lives. And this is what I think has happened, and this is kind of what we've been talking about in this sermon series, is that there, there have legitimately been some horrible, ugly things that the Church of Jesus Christ has done in our world. In the name of Jesus, they've done this. And, and unfortunately, it wasn't anything that Jesus said, was giving a thumbs up to. But people, in the name of Jesus, have done things in our world that have been incredibly hurtful to others. And we need to be honest about those things. And we've done, you know, I'm not, we can't even get into it. This is the end of the sermon series. And I'm sorry if you're jumping in here. We're kind of right at the end. We've, we've taken some weeks and we just want to be honest about some of the things that the Church of Jesus Christ has done 
that's, that's been hard and, and hurtful towards others and just, just acknowledge those things. But it's just like anything else too. There's unfortunately sometimes the negative things get the press and all the beautiful, wonderful things um, get forgotten. And so we have just been taking these weeks to say, hey, listen, in light of the fact that sometimes the church has taken some, some wrong turns, um, it doesn't mean that we should burn the map. In fact, when you get lost you, and you take some wrong turns, the answer isn't to burn the map. You return to the map. You, you go back and you look and see where you went wrong. And what's beautiful about in Christianity, we have in the middle of our faith the ability to critique some of the things that have gone wrong and to get ourselves back on track. And so we've just been talking about what if we were to have such a compelling vision of the church of Jesus Christ that it would cause others, and, and what if we were to actually not just have a compelling vision for it, but actually to live it out in our world? What is the church of Jesus supposed to be doing on our planet? And if we could do that in the way of Jesus, that it would make, it would make people stop, as it's done for centuries. It would make people stop and say, what is that? I've never seen anything like that before. And even people who are still skeptical about the doctrine part, you know, say, there would be many that would say, man, I'm not sure if I believe in what you believe quite yet, but man, that's what what you're creating in your community, what's what's being put out into the world because of you following Jesus, that's beautiful. And what if we could have a vision for the church like that? Um, And that's what we've been talking about. And we've just been saying that we can do this because we literally have a new identity. Um, We're not going out into the world just trying to be moral. We're not going out into the world just trying to be better than everybody else. We're literally just reciprocating the love of God that he's given us. And his grace literally makes us a new kind of person. It transforms our hearts. And so we go out in the world and we just want to live that way, um, bringing honor to him and glory to his name. Um, And so what would it look like? Um, Today, because it's the end of the sermon series, I want to bring it home. I want to bring it back to our church in particular. Why does Westside exist? What's the point of what we're doing here? And every few times a year, I want to make sure that I I tackle a, a message to remind us because we need to be reminded because we easily sometimes forget what the mission is. And we can easily sometimes become, do the thing where we just kind of show up because it's, you know, it's Sunday and it's 10 a.m. and this is what I'm supposed to do. And we forget that there's just a bigger, 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 much bigger thing going on. And I just want to bring some clarity into why, why Westside exists and why it matters and why I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it together. Um, what I want to do is I want to define the win for our church, all right? Define the win. That's some language that we use like on, on our staff, on our team. Um, we're always trying to make sure that we're defining the win. And it's important for every organization to do this. It's important for every church to do this. It's actually important for you just in your life to really be clear on what the wins are in whatever sort of situation that you're in. Let me give you an example. If you've got a five-year-old who's going out to play a soccer game, um, what do you say to the five-year-old? What's the win? You say, usually probably you'd say, hey, don't worry about the score. Just go out and have Fun, right? That's what you say. You're defining the win because the win isn't that they're scoring tons of points. They're five, right? That's not the win. The win when they're five is, hey, enjoy, learn the game, have fun. That's the win. And if you make the win be scoring points, then you could, we could crush our kids and then they're not going to have fun. And now, is, should, should having fun be the same goal for like a 25-year-old playing in the World Cup? Or should it be win? <laughs> Should it be scoring points? That's the win, all right, when you're playing in the World Cup. It's not just go out and have fun at that point. No, it's go out and win. You have to to define the win. And if we don't do that, we can find ourselves or our organizations or our families or just just you personally, you could find yourself 
at a destination that you weren't planning on arriving at because you didn't set the destination. You didn't set the win. Another example would be like if your kid is in high school and you, you of course, we want them to do good at school. But what if, what if like the win for your kid growing up is good grades? Good grades. That's the win. Good grades. Now, that's, that's a good thing. Good grades. Good grades are a good thing. But, but if that's the win, if that's the only win, and if you forget about character development, if it's just get good grades, the problem is you can find yourself landing in a place where maybe my kid now has good grades, but, but no character. Their character hasn't been formed. And so it's important for whatever season, area of life, season of life you're in, what you have defining the win. Defining the win is important because then if you don't define the win, the people under your care, maybe the people in your organization, the people in your family, if you don't define the win, if it, it becomes really frustrating when you're in that sort of environment to know whether you're winning or not. Has anybody worked in a job like this, worked in an industry like this, where you're just not even sure that the win hasn't been defined for you? And so you're just forced to sort of like decide on your own and you're not sure whether you're winning or losing. And we all know that all of us want to be on a winning team, don't we? We all want to be on a winning team. It feels good to be on a winning team. And if the win hasn't been defined, you never know if you're winning. And it forces then people in your organization or people in your family or whatever to come up with their own wins for themselves. And that could cause disunity. That could cause tearing. It's just not good. The other reason why it's important to define the win is because then it tells you where to spend your resources, where to leverage your resources. If you don't know what the win is, then you don't know how to leverage the resources to be able to get there. And so um, we talk about on our team all the time, like, okay, what's the win for kids' ministry? What is it? What's the win for our, our gathering times? Like, what are we really shooting for? You know, what's the win for, for, like, somebody's experience when they're coming in? Or what's the win for when we do small groups at the church? Because we want to clarify those things. Otherwise, we won't know. We won't know where the destination is. And we might find ourselves in some place that we don't necessarily want to be. Um, so what's the win for our church? Do you know? Some of you might not know. What's the win for Westside? Is it, is it uh, attendance? Is that the win? We're just trying to just get tons of people here. Is that the win? Huh. Is the win money? We're just, trying to, we're just trying to make money. Unfortunately, that's what, a lot of, what a lot of people believe about church, is that these are the wins. In church world, we call it bucks and butts, all right? That's what, people, that's what pastors say. They're like, I'm not about the bucks and the butts, you know? But unfortunately, that's what a lot of people think the, the win is. Or maybe the, is the win just self-survival? This is actually one of the things that happens in lots of organizations is, is an organization starts with a goal and a purpose and a vision, but then the, the, the organization starts to grow and then you have some employees and then you have some assets and, and then you get to this point where a lot of organizations then, they switch from actually pursuing the, the mission, the original mission, to how do we just keep this alive and going? And it becomes then now the mission shifts to self-survival. And we'll just make all the decisions based on how do we just keep this going and we lose sight of the original mission. So are these the wins? No, these aren't the wins. These are, these are, these are uh, you know, attendance. Yeah, that's great. Like resources, that's, that's great. But that, those aren't the wins for us. That's not at the, bo at the bottom basement level of who we are as a church. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to define the destination. I want to ask some uncomfortable questions. And then I just want to sort of specifically just define the win for what it looks like to be a part of our church together. Um, uh, here's, here's what you got to know. The point of church is not, by the way, to become church people, all right? The goal of church is not to become church people. 
Sometimes people push back on church and say, I don't want to go to church because I just don't want to become a church person. And guess what? The good news is, is that's not our goal, is to turn you into church people, all right? We want to turn you into Jesus people, not church people. In fact, in church world, one of the things, the language that gets used a lot is, is reaching the unchurched. How do we reach the unchurched? And, and this is no surprise. I've shared this several times. I hate that language. I just hate it because I don't want to church anyone, <laughs> That's not my goal. I mean, that's not the goal for me is to church someone, all right? I want them to get to know Jesus, and then they're going to find the vision for what the local church looks like in their life. The goal isn't just to, you know, isn't to become church people. And oddly enough, the point of church is not to just go to church. That's not what we're doing here. That's not the goal. It's just to go to church. And that way, that's what it can get reduced to often. This isn't just like a club that we're coming to um, every so often. It's so much bigger than that. The point of church is not to go to church. The point of church is to be the church. It's to be the church. And we've been talking about it for weeks. We're talking about how the point of church is not to go to church. The point is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. The point is to be the body of Christ. The point is to be the bride of Christ. The point is to be the, as, as Paul says it, the new humanity. That literally when we come face to face with the grace of Jesus, it causes a, your heart to change and it causes this, the, Jesus' church to change so that we're this new humanity that's stepping out into the world, just living a new kind of life, creating new kinds of communities that make the world stop and say, what is that all about? Um, so I want to take you to this passage of scripture that Paul is writing. It's a passage of scripture that if you've been to pizza with the pastors, which we do about every eight weeks or so, this is the passage that we look at. This, guys, is the passage that defines our church for me. And for with, under my leadership, under this church, this passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to this church. Um, Paul, by the way, his name used to be Saul, um, and he was a, he was a, a persecutor of the, of the Jewish people who were following Jesus. He didn't believe it. And then his life got radically changed. He was like the number one recruit, and Jesus drafted him onto the team. And Paul, uh, Saul's name turned to Paul, and then he becomes the most incredible evangelist. And he's writing, starting churches, and he's writing to all these churches and giving them encouragement. Listen, listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is, just, this is just huge for us. It says this, For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love doesn't just comfort us. It doesn't just give us warm fuzzies. No, no, no. It, Christ's love compels us. Compels us. Because Christ's love is compelling. It compels us because we're convinced, and it, and it took some convincing for Paul, it's just because we're absolutely convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. One died for all and therefore all died. In other words, we were as good as dead and he included us sort of in his, in his death so that we could all be included in his resurrection. So the only way that we can actually get new life is that we recognize that I'm dead without you, God. I'm dead without you. I can't save myself. And when you recognize that, then you're, then you're like included. This is what baptism is all about. When we water baptize people, it's you're identifying with Christ's death. It's like you're dying with him. You're going down into the grave so that you can be included in his new life as he resurrects from the dead. And then he goes on. He says, and, we di and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. In other words, he says, Jesus took the first step. We were dead. We couldn't save ourselves. And Jesus took the first step. So therefore, if he is the one that initiated, if he's the one that poured out his grace on us, then how can we not now leverage everything we have to, to, to reciprocate this love and this grace that's been given to us? How can we not then live our lives not for ourselves, but for others? Which is in such contrast to how often so much of the rest of the world works is living for ourselves, just getting to the top, just doing what we can do to get to the top. And Christ followers are called to something different. So no, 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 we're no longer gonna live for ourselves. Now we have a new perspective. We're changed, we think differently. Verse 17, he goes on. Therefore, and this is a really famous part of this passage. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God, who, and then we have this word right here, and you're gonna, we're going to see this word over and over again in the rest of the text that we're going to read. He says, we're a new creation, the new creation has come, the new humanity, we've got changed hearts now, the old is gone, the new is here, and all this is from God, it's not from us, it's not from our good works, it's not because we performed our way in, it's all from God, because what did he do? He reconciled us to himself through Christ, reconciled. You guys know what the word reconcile means is right you reconcile it's like something's off and and it's made right again that we were reconciled we needed to be reconciled to God through Christ and then it goes on and then and it gets better it says and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so he does the work of reconciling us to him because we had irrecon irreconcilable differences can't even say that he, I mean, because we were, we were separated, we, we couldn't do it ourselves. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he does something so strange. He doesn't just say like, all right, now you're reconciled. Go sit on a couch and relax. Go, you know, just, just hang out in heaven. I've got a place for you. I'm going to reconcile you. And then you just hang out. He says, no, no, no. Then I'm going to give you the ministry. And by the way, this word ministry, um, it's a confusing word. And this, you know, it, the little Greek word actually means the job, the task, the word ministry is, seems like that's like, the word ministry is kind of like what I'm doing right now. I'm kind of like doing ministry. And if, if it's just the ministry of reconciliation, then it's like we could think, well, I'm not going to do the ministry of reconciliation on Monday because I feel like doing ministry on Tuesday, you know? Or maybe mostly on Sunday, I'll do the ministry of reconciliation. But the word there is that, no, 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 he's given us the job, the task, the task of reconciliation. And then he goes on. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, listen, not counting people's sins against them. What, a, what great news. What a great, what great news. That the truth of the matter is that God does not count our sin because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, because of how he, he took our sin upon himself on the cross, that now he doesn't count our sins against us. He's absorbed them. He's taken them. Guys, this is such good news. This is not what people normally think about when they think about Christianity. They think about a group of people who are going out there trying to tell people, God's going to get you for your sins. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. We better do good, you know, so, that we, so he doesn't get us. 
But man, this is not the message that we've been given. The, the good news is that through Jesus, he does not count our sins against us. It's the best news that a human being can hear. And it goes on. And then he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That we're his ambassadors. You guys know what an ambassador does. I mean, you represent your country. You're in a foreign country, but you represent your country to that country. And he says, here's what I want you to do, people. Here's what I want you to do, church. You're going to be this new kind of person because you've got a transformed heart. And I'm going to put you in this world, and I want you to live there. But this isn't your true home. This isn't the place where you ultimately belong. But you're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to be my hands and feet everywhere you go. You're going to represent me. This is just incredible. You see how different this is than like, you know, here's the door and here's the steeple and then open it up and here's all the people, you know? I mean, like the church is so much more than just a place that you go on a Sunday. I mean, he's talking about we get to be his, his ambassadors on this planet. That's incredible. We are not cut out for this job. But he's given us the Holy Spirit. And then he ends with this. He says, we implore you. And I love that it ends with just, I, I just picture, I picture again Paul just like sort of leaning over the table uh, over a cup of coffee with you and saying, so listen, if all that's true, I just, man, I just implore you. I, am, I just implore you. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we are the righteousness of God because it's not earned, it's given. That doesn't give us, by the way, listen, guys, this doesn't give us big heads. This gives us big hearts. This doesn't give us big heads. This gives us big, big hearts. We've been reconciled to him because he became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. Uh, to sum it all up, to sum just that, that's the passage. That's the key passage for us, for our church. To sum it all up. Here's, here's, um, here's one, one other way to say it, is the love of Christ compels us to proclaim and embody the most important news and to be his hands and feet in our world. The love of Christ is so compelling. It's so compelling. He doesn't count our sins against us. He loves us. It's so compelling that it compels us to proclaim and embody the most important news, not, the, not good advice, but good news, the most important news, that God loves us and he cares about us and he pursued us and he did it all for us. It's the most important news a human being can hear and to be his hands and feet in the world. This is what he's called us to. The way that Westside says it is this. This is our mission statement. Is Westside exists to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. That's our mission statement. You go to our website, say vision and values is the first thing you see. Westside exists to reconcile people to God. This is our biggest, deepest need. We need to be reconciled to God. And how are we going to do it? Through the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's going to happen step by step because we're all in different places in our journey. And we want to create a, a church where people, wherever you are in the journey, that you can come here and you can learn about Jesus and you can take whatever step you need to take next. And we're going to just walk along. We're going to just help you take whatever step that is, step by step by step. Okay, you ready for some uncomfortable questions? Okay. Can we, uh, yeah, let's leave this up here. So my uncomfortable question to you is, 
Is this the most important thing that we should be about in our lives? Isn't this the most important thing? Like the most important thing, isn't it? And the uncomfortable question is, is is this the story that's shaping your life more than anything else? Is this most important to you in how you live, go about your life and live your life? Is, is this story shaping your values and your, and your, your you know, your, is, it, is it shaping just what's most important to you in your life? Is this story the thing that's, that's shaping you most more than anything else? Is this forming you more than anything else? It's an important question for me to ask myself. And for us, for all of us in the church to ask ourselves, because here's, here's my fear, and here's what, here's what I'm, I get embarrassed about sometimes, just for me. I'm not talking about for you, just for me, but I feel like, man, I, my life can be so much more, just more shaped by, um, by making money than this. That my life can be shaped more, more by just wanting to be liked and known by others than, than this. That just wanting to be liked by others becomes the, the, the main mission of my life instead of, instead of this. I have the suspicion that a lot of us are shaped more by our fantasy football teams. We're shaped more by the shows that we like to watch on TV. We're shaped more by the political party that we, that we, you know, we are a part of. We're shaped more by all sorts of other things than this when this is the most important thing. I wanna be formed by this more than anything else, anything else around. Is there anything more important? So what I wanna do is, listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're just kind of, kind of investigating, you're just kind of checking it out. Listen, I, I totally get it. This isn't shaping your life yet. <laughs> you haven't got there yet. You haven't said Jesus is my Lord and King and so therefore like this, this is all like new stuff for you. Okay, so, right, so you're off the hook right now, okay? I want to talk to the people in the room. I want to talk to the people in the room. By the way, when I say off the hook, I mean I hope you hear, you stay, because we want to help you see how beautiful and good God is. But for a moment, I want to talk to all the people who are, this, you're, you, you follow Jesus, Jesus is King and your, Lord of your life. You, you, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that's you, then this is the thing. Being a part of the church, his mission in the world, his hands and feet, proclaiming and embodying the message, this is the thing that we get to be about. This is the task that he's given us. This is the monumental task that he's given us. We want to be shaped by this more than anything else. And so I want to talk, I want to, talk to you specifically. And here's what I want to say. I, want to, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us. And I want to implore you. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, I implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what he's called us to. Okay, some specifics about our church. And as we get to there, can I have Jeff come back up? Jeff's just going to play. I want to give you some, some th- I'm, I'm just going to lay it out and say these are some things that I am committing to you as, as the pastor of this church, things that I am committing to you. I commit, I commit to you to do these things. First, I commit to focus everything we do here to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We promise to take Jesus seriously but not take ourselves too seriously. We promise to work hard to create an environment where you can be confident and proud to invite a friend to church. We will be vigilant in creating a church that is expecting guests, ready for them, and thinking about them. This is one of the things I love most about our church, and I hear it all the time, is people just say, man, I just, there's other churches that I've gone to, and I just don't feel comfortable inviting a friend to those places. But, man, Westside's just different. I feel like I can invite a friend no matter where they are in their faith, and then they can feel like they can belong and they can understand what's going on. I love, that's one of the best, highest compliments that you can give our church. That's what we're trying to create, that you feel confident inviting friends. You've never heard me do a sermon where I've said, invite your friends, will you? Come on, you're a Christian, right? Invite friends. No, no, that's not the way to do it, is we're gonna create an environment where you feel comfortable inviting friends. That's what we're gonna do. Here's what I, I promise. I promise to be diligent to preach in ways that are faithful to Jesus, and accessible to anyone you bring, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey. We promise to partner with you, with you parents, to help you be the main spiritual developer of your kids. That's a big value for us, is we wanna help you, the parent, be the main spiritual development of your kids. Because so often, sometimes the church is like the, is the outsourced solution for, for helping your kids, kids become Christ followers. And say, I don't know how to help my kid become a Christ follower, so church, can you just do it for me? <laughs> I'll just send them to you, and you make them a Christian, please. And we'll do our best, and we're going to create environments where they see and love Jesus. But then also, sometimes if, if, uh, if it doesn't work, then guess who gets the blame? So we do. <laughs> and so that's not, a God, that's not a good system. We want to help you, parents, be the main spiritual developers of your kids. And if you don't know how to do that, that's fine. We're going to come alongside. We're going to help you. That's a big task. Because we're not just raising kids, we're raising disciples of Jesus. Here's another one. We promise, we promise that we will work diligently to keep building and improving environments for your kids that are compelling and fun so that they'll fall in love with Jesus and love their church. We promise to be a church that you're proud to give to and to give through. And when we want, we want to be a church that you're proud to give finances to because you just know, this, man, this is, this is a great place to give to. But not only that, but you, when you know that when you give, we're giving to things in our world. We're giving to missionaries across the world. We're giving to uh, things in our city, things that matter in our city. We want to give you that confidence. Here's another one. We promise to steward every dollar you give to be a compelling church that creates disciples and reaches the unreached and the unconvinced. We're going to leverage every dollar so that we can reconcile people to God step by step. I promise to keep leading us and pushing us to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever he's planted you. Those are our commitments as a church. We're fired up about this mission. This is what we get to do, Westside. We get to be his hands and feet. 
We get to create this radically unique kind of culture amongst us that makes the world stop and say, oh my goodness, that is beautiful. The way that we forgive one another, the way that we don't hold on to offenses with one another, the way that we treat one another, the way that we treat outsiders, the way that we engage with others in our world, that it all speaks to the goodness and the greatness of this Jesus who loves us so incredibly much. So this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm defining the wins, okay? These are some of our big wins. So I'm defining, defining the win for some of us. If this is your church, then here's what I'm asking you to do. First, is first, I want you to root your identity. I just want you to root your identity in, in Jesus and let him shape you more than anything else. Let him be the thing that defines your identity not any, and not anything else. Nothing else is big enough. Nothing else, nothing else is strong enough. Nothing else can get the job done. Everything else will let you down if you put it at the center of your identity, but Jesus will not let you down. You can truly sing, it is well with my soul when Jesus is at the core because he will never leave you or forsake you. Root your identity in Jesus. Next is take ownership of your journey with Jesus. Take ownership of your journey with Jesus. And what that means is that means that you have a hand to play in being a disciple of Jesus and the church can't do it all for you. So that means that we wanna help you find friends, but guess what, we, we're gonna fail at that sometimes. And it would be a shame if you came into the church and you were like, man, I wish I could find friends, but this darn church isn't helping me. If the church would just put some things together, then I could find some friends. And our response to that is, hey, we're gonna do our best. We're gonna create all these environments to help you find friends. But you know what you gotta do? You gotta put a hand out. You gotta invite somebody over for dinner. You gotta say, hey, I've seen you. You don't look strange. <laughs> What's your name? I'm so-and-so. I mean, you, you got to take ownership. And you got to take ownership of your spiritual journey when it comes to serving our city. We want to serve our city so well. We're going to create environments to help you do that. But it would be a shame if you came to church and you were like, man, I really wish I could serve my city. Too bad they don't have any outreaches planned. Too bad they don't have a sign-up sheet for me. No. Like, hey, we're, we'll have sign-up sheets. Don't worry. We're going to have those things. But... It's your job, it's your job to look at your life and look at your context and look at your neighbors and look at the places that you go and say, well, how can I be a blessing to my city? How can I be his hands and feet? I'm not gonna wait for the church to put it together for me. I'm gonna do it because I'm a disciple of Jesus. Take ownership of your journey. And we wanna help, we wanna do it together because we're family together. Next is I want you to invest and there's three ways to invest, three main ways. I want you to invest practically, I want you to invest financially and I want you to invest relationally. Practically, financially, and relationally. First, practically. I just want you to invest practically. You, we need you here. You have gifts and skills. You know, Paul talks about the body being, hey, the body only comes together when there's hands and there's feet and there's legs and there's elbows. And if we don't have those things, then the body doesn't work properly. And so whatever you have, whatever gift and skill you have, it's necessary, it's needed. How can we help get you on a team somewhere? Can you serve somewhere? Maybe you're like, uh, I'm kind of more like, like, uh, you know, a shin, so I don't know like what my job, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do around here. And if you don't know, then we'll say, hey, well, let's put you somewhere. Guys, do you realize, and you know that, I know you know this because so many of you serve on teams. By the way, we have a very high percentage of our church that serves on teams, way higher than most other churches that I know of. It's actually, I'm, I'm so proud of that. So many of us are just serving on teams. Usually it's 80, uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work in most churches. And I think we're just blowing those percentages out of the water, which I'm so proud of. But right now there's just an army of people serving our kids. 
you are on those teams. There's, there's, pe- there's things happening on teams you don't even know. Guess how all this got here? The Holy Spirit did not do it this morning. All this stuff got here because we have a crew that gets here and they stay late to put everything away and they're on a rotation and it's like, it works because we just are contributing practically with each other. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Um, Jerry Adams is in the room somewhere. Jerry, I'm so grateful for you, Jerry. Jerry has these, like, he prays. He prays for our church all the time. He prays for me as, our, as, as the pastor all the time. And Jerry, I'm so grateful. Where are you, Jerry, so I can look at you? Thank you. You're right there. And Jerry, sometimes he has these, like, these, like, these dreams and these pictures that he gets from the Lord, and he writes them down and gives them to me. And he handed me one a couple weeks ago. And, and I took it home and I read it and it was so for this sermon series, just for everything we're talking about. And this picture that he had was Jesus in the front of a boat, a, 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 like a rescue boat. Just picture like a ship has gone down, people are in the water and Jesus is in the front of the boat and there's a bunch of people just rowing, just rowing. And Jesus is calling out, hey, to the left, like let's, there's somebody over here. And so they row over there and we pull that person into the boat. And Jesus says, hey, there's another one over here. So we just, they're sweating and working and they're rowing. And they go over here and they pull this person into the boat. And so Jesus is just leading the ship and just just rescuing people out of, of hopelessness and darkness and lostness and bringing them onto the boat. But here's this really cool thing that happened. In, 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 in the picture that, that Jerry had is, is these people were tired and cold. They got on the boat. They got a blanket. They warmed up. The people who were rowing started to get so tired. And so what happened was the people that were rowing said, hey, can, can I take a break? Can, can, can you row? Can you help row? And so the people that just got rescued after they got a little bit warmed up, they're like, of course I'll row. I got rescued because you rowed for me. So I'm going to row. So the people getting rescued are just taking over the, the oars and rowing. And then when they get tired, the other people that got rescued, they're taking, and it's just this beautiful picture of the church of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful that you got invited, so grateful that you're here, and so be on a team. Contribute in that way because other people get a chance to be able to hear and see how good Jesus is. Invest practically, invest financially. This is always a tricky one. By the way, we are not asking for a second offering this morning, okay? That's not how we roll. If you know me at all, you know that's not what we do around here. But Jesus talked a lot about money because he knew that it, it, it tells us really what's most important to us. That's what money does. You'll easily give your money easiest to the things that matter most to you. And so if this vision of the church matters most to you, then, why, then how are you going to invest financially in it? You have to. You have to. We're compelled to because Jesus' love is compelling. And so how are you going to do it? There's all sorts of ways to do it. And I just want to say, let one of those ways, if this is your church, be give financially to the church. Figure out a way to do that. And, you know, is there an amount? No, it's, it's really how, the best way to do it is, a, is some sort of a percentage. You choose a percentage and you say, you know what? God, I am choosing to give this much and I'm just going to give faithfully. And there's going to be times where it's not convenient to give that way. But this is what we're called to as Christ followers. Hey, I'm just, I'm, Lord, you're, you're bigger than all of it. And so I'm going to trust you with what you've given me. I'm going to give, I'm going to give, I'm going to give. I'm going to figure out ways to be generous. So here's what we figured out is, and I say this as a compliment, most churches, in most churches, there's about 18% of people actually give regularly to a church, 18%, and the rest don't give that are part of a church. Our church is around 30%. We've almost doubled that number. So that's a really, really good thing. 
It's really, really good. However, you've got to stop then at the, on the backside of that and say, man, there are still a lot of people who call this church their church, but for whatever reason, it's just, that's not a habit. It's not a thing. That's all right. We've got room to grow. But I just dream about, man, if we're able to do all the stuff that we're able to do with, with, with what, we're, what we're given and what we're stewarding, imagine what if 35%, what, what if 40%? I mean, it just makes our, opens up our minds to all the different ways that we could serve our city and all the different ways that we would be freed up to be able to do all sorts of things that we couldn't do before. Invest financially and then invest relationally. And that means stick a hand out, invite somebody over for dinner. Westside is really good with food. Invite people over. Jesus did tons of ministry around tables, and so we're going to do ministry around tables too. So build a smaller community around you. You gotta just, you gotta try. You gotta put your hand out, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. By the way, we have small groups launching in January. Get in one of those small groups. Jump on board, do it when it comes. Last story and then I'll pray. Um, we're doing all this because we want people to know Jesus, but man, our, did you know our church is swimming in kids? Like we're just drowning in kids and it's a good kind of drowning. We have so many kids, it's such a blessing. And man, we are creating the kind of church where these kids can see how beautiful Jesus is. We're going to set that anchor so deep in their heart that no matter what happens in the rest of their life, they're not going to be able to stray too far away because they just know that they are loved by their king. And um, Maggie, Maggie um, came up to me uh, this last week, um, and uh, Maggie Glender, and she came up to me and she goes, she looks at me and she's like, Pastor Brooks. I'm going to be a pastor just like you. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. That's so, yes, you do it. And then she's like, yeah, and then I'm going to be your boss. <laughs> I was like, you get it, girl. You go for it. Let's just build this passion in the heart of our young people where they say, there's nothing better that I want to do with my life than follow and serve Jesus. Amen.